When most people talk about knowing their ABCs, they're referencing the alphabet. But here at Animal Behavior Conversations, the podcast of the ABMA, we're talking about the ABCs of behavior. Each week, we'll discuss a topic in the world of animal training and break down the science of behavior change. One of the great things about behavior and training is that it relates to animals of every kind. So whether you're training a lion or a tiger or a bear, oh my, or your pet at home, this podcast is for you. So without further ado, let's talk some training. Hello and welcome to Animal Behavior Conversations, an ABMA podcast. Today we're talking about the ABCs of behavior with special guest Nikki Boyd. This podcast is presented by the ABMA or the Animal Behavior Management Alliance, which is a not-for-profit organization with a membership comprised of animal care professionals and other individuals interested in enhancing animal care through training and enrichment. The ABMA continually strives to advance intentional and enlightened behavior management through operant conditioning to improve the lives and welfare of all animals. If you'd like to learn more or become a member of the ABMA, visit us at our website at theabma.org. If you're new to the podcast, welcome! We're glad you're here joining us. I'm your host, Shane, and I am a current ABMA board member, pinniped trainer at the Columbus Zoo Aquarium, and self-proclaimed behavior nerd. For anyone joining us again on the podcast, we're so excited to have you back and to continue to talk about behavior. The goal of this podcast is to implement one of the goals of the ABMA, which is to continue the spread of knowledge and sharing throughout the animal care field. Each episode, we will break down one topic that involves the science of behavior and animal training. We want to provide a resource for newer trainers to learn and for experienced trainers to be refreshed. Even though the content that you hear in this podcast reflects the views of the guests and does not necessarily represent the feelings of the ABMA or the board of directors, we think that the diversity of subjects and viewpoints represented by the animal care professionals from around the world is one of the strengths of this organization. Some things you agree with and others may challenge your perceptions and ideas, but we encourage you to listen to all that you hear with an open mind because you might be surprised by what you learn. Last episode, we talked about operate conditioning, and today we're going to be talking about something that you hear a lot about in the training world, something that will guide us in everything we do related to behavior and training, and that is the ABCs of behavior, which is actually where we got the name of our podcast, Animal Behavior Conversation, or ABCs as well. But today, to help me talk about the ABCs of behavior, we have Nikki Boyd. Thanks for having me. Well, I know Nikki from ABMA, but for those who don't know you, Nikki, can you give us a little bit about yourself and your journey through the animal care field and training? Sure. So um, I work at the San Diego Zoo and I've actually been here for 30 years. Uh, I started when I was five, I like to say, but um, I was pretty lucky to come here straight out of college, really. Um, And my current role is curator of applied behavior, um, which entitled it's the encompasses me running the animal training program here at the San Diego zoo, as well as the four ambassador teams. So I always say I have the best job in the zoo because I get to work with a little bit of everything. Um, but my background started, um, of course, when I was a kid, always being around animals, but, um, really wanting to look for a college that fit what I liked. And so I went to Moorpark College first and got to work hands-on with 
lions and primates and reptiles and birds of prey and learned how to free fly raptors. And it was, it was an amazing experience um, and a great foundation, but it didn't teach me some of the medical side. So I ended up going to the veterinary technician program here in San Diego and um, kind of married the two the training and medical um, into my career when I started as a zookeeper. So I was training a lot of animals to cooperate in their own care, voluntary vaccinations. And it was great because our veterinary staff had a lot of confidence in me because of my vet tech background. I got to do my internship at the safari park. Um, and so I really loved that part of it. And so I started being asked to do stuff out into the main zoo, which led me into being the behavior husbandry manager and then the associate curator and now the curator of applied behavior. So it's been a great journey. I've been really supported by the San Diego Zoo. And, um, you know, my my personal life, I volunteer for a lot of things. So I've been on the board for ABMA um, in a variety of roles. I was CFO for six years. Um president. And now I'm the CIO, chief information officer for ABMA. So I took a little bit of time off to, you've got to, well, you can only do so many terms back to back, um, but just really love ABMA. And it's one of my favorite conferences, favorite organizations to be a part of. I get something out of every single talk because behavior is behavior and it doesn't matter what you're training. Um, I always feel like I learn from that. So just, just happy to be a part of ABMA and, and really excited to do the podcast. That's awesome. And Nikki, I think I want to be you when I grow up now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I that, pinch myself sometimes. I feel very blessed. That was uh, really cool. I didn't know that about your vet tech background, but it makes a lot of sense. Very cool. And uh, I can attest, I just saw some really cool videos that you all did with San Diego with emergency recalls, uh, whereas we're getting ready for our publication of Engage, which by the time you're listening to this, it's probably out. So go check that out. We added videos in this time, so you can see the videos. And my favorite one is of their tiger. Nikki throws something in, and the tiger runs down, and it gets so close to it. And then the recall goes off, and you just see the tiger's head go. Uh, okay, uh, I should go back. And it's yeah. it's a it's a really cool video. So if you haven't already checked that out, I wasn't planning to shamelessly plug Engage, but check out our Winter 2023 Engage to see that uh, really cool video and learn about training and emergency recall. But anyways, back back to the podcast, talking about the ABCs of behavior. As we mentioned earlier, this is kind of how we got our name for the podcast, Animal Behavior Conversations, because the ABCs of behavior are just that fundamental and important. And they're a really fun and powerful acronym that really guides us as we use operant conditioning and we're training our animals. So the ABCs of behavior stand for antecedent behavior consequence. And while we are training this, that's the order that learning will occur. We're going to start the antecedents, move to behavior, then consequences. So our next two episodes are going to be breaking down the ABCs a little bit farther. But Nikki, can you give us a quick summary of what we mean by each of those terms and what we mean by the ABCs of behavior? Sure. Um, and I just love this. It's It sounds so simple, right? You learn your ABCs, but it's such a great acronym. So, you know, your antecedent is, you know, how you're setting the stage. And there's a theory that, you know, if your antecedents are set up so well, it, it can help get the behavior to about 90% completion almost because you've got the animal either lining up right for an ejection or you've set them up for so much success that it's it does a lot of the work for you. So um, when you're first looking at your antecedents, it's, there's, it depends on the behavior and there's a lot of factors that go into it, but um, 
I, when I have the shaping plans submitted to me, that's part of my job here at San Diego is to uh, approve the shaping plan. So I want to see that they have set themselves up for success. When it's a medical behavior, we often have the vets or the vet techs go down and watch, look at the setup. So they look at the antecedent arrangement to make sure it's going to be successful that, for them as well. And so, you know, the behavior is the observable, you know, thing that the animal's doing. And so usually that's what you write down for a shaping plan, for instance, is, you know, I want them to target. And so you kind of look at that and, and then how are you setting that up for success? And then the consequences, the reinforcers you're delivering and what is that that is uh, reinforcing to the animal? And sometimes that'll change too. So really knowing your animal, knowing um, what's reinforcing, maybe saving some of the higher reinforcement value for harder behaviors, um, but having some tools in your toolbox, so to speak. So if you're, you know, only coming, stepping up with one type of food item and it's not what they want that day, then your session is going to be over pretty quick. So the consequence um, is really going to dictate if you're going to reinforce that behavior or punish it. Of course, with ABCs, you're looking at the positive reinforcement portion of the operant conditioning quadrants. And so the consequence, you want it to be reinforcing because, you know, you're trying to get the animal to want to do the behavior because it knows the consequence is going to be really good. So it's such a fundamental thing in training that um, it's it's easy when you know, like, oh, I just want to train target and I'm just going to set this up. But it's it's really great to break it down when you have a problem. And that's where I find it's the most some of the most helpful things is kind of problem solving and really looking at your ABCs. Yeah. And that kind of skipping ahead one, because that goes straight into one of the topics I wanted to talk about with you, especially with your current role and doing this a lot. So like if we have the ability to watch our colleagues train or we're watching a video of our own training sessions, I know like um, I love to watch a training session because you can see a lot more if you're, you know, have that out of body. How can we use the ABCs of behavior to analyze a training session and then maybe look at it and say, all right, this is working. This isn't like, how can we uh, give better communication to the animal, et cetera? Yeah. I love videotaping and, and debriefing after a training session. Um, a lot of times when I'm called in to, to do some coaching, I'll uh, see things that maybe as a trainer, you focus on the head, or you don't see where the body position is. And so um, I've been able to just kind of analyze like the setup or even the body position to, to make the animal successful for whether it's a lean in or I remember one time we were trying to get an elephant to um, bow and when they would ask, it wouldn't do the behavior. And then it kind of spread its back feet and then they asked and it was able to do it. And it just needed that support, a little better support. And so I was like, Hey, you know, the, when the back feet are spread, the behavior is more successful and more likely to occur. So, you know, sometimes you actually might have to train the back feet to be, you know, in a right, in the right position or reinforce the position um, to set them up for success for doing the behavior. So if you videotape that, sometimes you can watch it back and you can see little prompts you might be giving. You can see um, maybe there's distractions in the background, which, you know, distractions are good and you should work through it. You shouldn't try to live in a bubble when you're training because you're never going to be able to make a, a completely quiet environment. But I definitely think that um, people should be more comfortable with being videotaped 
allowing debriefing. So talking training, it'll just make you such a better trainer. And then also talking about why you reinforce what you reinforce. So maybe the day before somebody was off and you reinforce them coming in really quickly and they don't understand why did you reinforce them right off the bat? They didn't even do anything. It's like, oh, well, they were so slow yesterday. You know, they came in really fast. And of course that could be in your training records, but I find a lot of times the art of training is sometimes in your head and people don't always understand. And so they might assume things like, oh, you're, you know, you're reinforcing something that's not necessary, but they don't understand the context to what your other experience is in, in training this animal. It could be that, you know, the cheetah saw a squirrel in the tree the day before and it walked right by the tree without like trying to pull you over to the tree. And so you reinforce just passing a tree and someone may not understand the context unless you explain it. So the debrief after a session is really important, I think. Yeah, and I think all of us, I know for me, for sure, someone's going, why did you reinforce that? And you just go, oh, yeah, why did I do that? You know, so it's a good way you can be like, oh, or like you just said, you can say, oh, the squirrels in the tree, blah, blah, blah. Like all those things, I think is really great conversations. And when you come down to it, the ABCs of behavior and looking through that is a great way that we can all kind of, you know, help each other and help ourselves to grow. And kind of in that same vein, you were talking a lot about uh, shaping plans or training plans. So when we're starting to train a new behavior, how do we use the ABCs of behavior to write that shaping plan and start thinking about teaching that new behavior? Yeah, I think it's important to really build a a recipe. I, I like to have a shaping plan that is so clear that someone else could look at it and follow it. A lot of the shaping plans I see can be pretty brief. And so there's a lot of assumptions in there. And so I would encourage you, if you're writing a shaping plan, to, to, to think of every step. As you've learned with Karen Pryor's you know, 10 Laws of Shaping, you might be able to skip a couple steps and be ready for that. Um, but if you have really good building blocks, that's going to help you if you have regression so you can move back a few steps. Um, if someone else needs to retrain it um, or the animal moves to another zoo or, uh, you know, you leave and, and new trainers are, are trying to maintain it and they have regression, they can use those building blocks. So I think it's really important to look at the antecedents, um, how you set it up, be very clear in your description. It might even be time of day. It might be, um, you know, and set yourself up for success, right? So if they're more motivated in the morning, then maybe you need a morning session. We had bonobos that were getting trained in the afternoon when they had a little more free time. And there was literally not much motivation. And I I went in to help problem solve and there was food all over the bedroom, just scattered around. The behavior they were asking for was an arm injection, which is kind of a high intense behavior. You're vulnerable. You could be getting a shot. They don't know. And so the motivation to do that had competing reinforcers, right? You have food spread all over. Well, yeah, that's a really, you're offering me some fruit, but I've got nuts over here. So, so I, I just said, make the simple switch, try to do it in the morning, you know, just a quick session. I think sometimes people get hung up on the fact that be training, you know, I don't have time to train, but you can do a great session in five minutes. And I said, you know, before you feed, you create that motivation, right? So you, you've got the, the reinforcers that they want, but they haven't been satiated with food all day. They're waking up, they're excited to see you. And so we tried sessions in the morning and within like two sessions, they were pushing their arm against the, the mesh to get the reinforcers. And then they got, you know, fed a whole bunch afterwards. So I think just breaking it down um, and talking through it and setting yourself up for success. So that's the A, of course. And then because sometimes, you know, you know, the behavior you want, you're not getting it, even though you, you can't even get to the consequence part yet, because if they're not offering the arm, you can't reinforce it. So 
it's and you don't want to be baiting them and showing them, look, I brought something even better this time. So you really that, like I said, the antecedent is is such a powerful tool that's going to help you be so much more successful once you set that up, whether it's the time of day, um, you know, the placement, um, you know, do, is there enough lighting? Can they see? Uh, do they have more? Um, are they feeling more empowered when they have control to leave? So instead of always working in a shoot, can you work in an open area? Um, we do a lot of our giraffe training at the giraffe feeding wall, and there's such a high rate of reinforcement at that wall. And now we've just built some foot doors in there and they're like lining up. Whereas when we were doing it in the shoot, some, some of the giraffes were less um, likely to want to participate and it wasn't as cooperative. It seemed more coerced. And so it's, it's great to see uh, the growth in giving animals control to leave when they want as a, as a primary reinforcer, right? It's like, ah, I know I can leave any time, so I'm going to stay. So, so there's just so many different applications for so many different types of taxa. But if you really hone in on the A for the ABCs, I think you can really set yourself up for much better training success. Yeah. I loved earlier when you said, if you get your antecedents, you're 90% there on a trained behavior where we look at the behavior where that is so um, important. And actually last week on our episode about operant conditioning, we did talk about how choice and control is a primary reinforcer. So I love that you brought that up there again. Yeah. Um, perfectly. And I know for my own experience, writing a training plan and thinking about all of those things, like we have a 26 year old sea lion who, you know, his, he sees well, but his vision is definitely not what it used to be when he was a spry young sea lion. And uh, I'm working on training him to go from above the water trainer that's either free contact or protected contact to go down under our acrylic and find someone under the water. And so thinking of that training plan, I was like, if it's really sunny, he's not going to be able to see it to start. Like once he knows the behavior, he'll be able to find it. So like that was one thing. And like every single time, like a couple of times, like, ah, oh, it is pretty sunny. I don't know if we should try it with Bodega today. So I think that's a great thing. And for me, I was like, yeah, I do that all the time too. So yeah, it's great that we're all speaking the same language and that for those of you listening to the podcast, you know, good for you just to try to continue to grow and learn. I, I learn all the time and by by talking to other trainers and, and really making sure that we're all moving together as an industry, I, I'm super excited to see where we're going. And obviously, Susan Friedman, I think, is the one who kind of coined the control is a, a primary reinforcer is definitely one of hers. And I, I think it was her who said something about, you know, or maybe it was Steve Martin. And antecedent can do 90 percent of the work when you set it up right. Yeah. Amazing. I love it. Now we talked a lot about training new behaviors, watching we're training a new behavior, but there's so many already learned behaviors that our animals are doing every single day, like something like shifting, stationing, targeting. We talked about how can we utilize ABCs of behavior when looking at those fundamental already learned behaviors that may be breaking down. Or like you said, the other, you know, someone comes in on their off their weekend and it's like, why did you just give the animal this for just coming inside stuff like that you know I, I took the LLA course which is living and learning with animals with Susan um just about two years ago and it really does a great functional assessment and so um I think you know doing a shaping plan is fairly easy it's when you hit the wall right you hit a problem and they're like I thought if I did all these steps it would have they would be doing the behavior and they're not so then you've got the problem solving and so I feel like um and then sometimes you're like, but they know the behavior. It's like so many people have, have talked about, don't label, what are you seeing today? So just because they know it, you don't want to say like, oh, they're just messing with me. 
you don't know if there was a, a tree fell outside the zoo that caused a lot of noise or a car crash happened or something. It, it frightened the animal. And so now they just don't feel comfortable. I have a ocelot who has, he's 18. And so we keep looking at his behaviors like, is this age related or is there's a massive construction project just outside the zoo over the perimeter fence? They were doing an entire botanical garden. And I really feel like that is what's causing it. And the reason I feel like that is because I can objectively see him when we come out to our VIP area. He looks at the direction of the noise where it's coming. He freezes. He can't see what's happening behind the wall. And and so he's refusing sometimes to go out there. And so as I break it down and look at the assessment, I'm like, you know what? So then the crate behavior started breaking down. And so Today, I went over there and I said, I'm just going to reinforce crate because it's really loud out there right now. They were jackhammering. And I know that because the way he's looking in that direction that I can see the behavior of him freezing and looking in that direction when there's loud noise makes me feel like this is affecting his behavior. So and today he jumped down, he went almost into the crate and he stopped. And I thought, okay, I don't know what's in his head. I don't know if he's just you know, not super motivated or it's cold outside. That could be another factor, but I just want to make crate really reinforcing it. It doesn't mean you're going out to that loud, noisy area. doesn't mean you're going out into the cold. It just means thank you for going into the crate. And so we just worked crate today and he had a great session and he voluntarily went all the way in the crate on his own, got really reinforced and got to go home and get lots of food. So I have talked to the people as we're the other co-trainers and it's like, you know, um, Yes, we want to work him through this. Um, it was a little early in the day today, so I didn't think I was setting him up. It was 9 a.m. and it was cold outside. So I'd rather do an afternoon session when it's warmer, maybe try to time it when the, the construction crew's on lunch or something um, so we can set that up where he's not having to hear jackhammering and then reinforce what we can. So I said, God, he was so motivated to come to the crate and then something clicked and he was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to go in there. So I was like, I, I reinforced him for going partially in. And then it's like, you kind of let the animal win sometimes. It's like, all right, buddy, it's fine. You're 18. You don't want to do something. It's fine. You know, what do you want to do? And, and be able to reinforce that and maintain my relationship with him and that trust. And, you know, and then go back and we debriefed after. And it was like, you know what? He did really, he was super motivated. He was moving really good. It didn't seem like it was an age-related thing. I really do think this is why. And Sometimes you won't always know for sure, but you'll know if, you know, like if the next time I step up and he crates just fine, then I'll know that I really reinforced the behavior of crating and that maybe it worked. The tactic I chose where he didn't have to go out was a good call. Um, but you don't know until you step back up to the animal and do the behavior again and just and try. But I think always making sure that you don't go, well, he knows how to crate. He's not going to get any food if he doesn't go in the crate. It's like, no, man, he's trying. He's motivated. He's doing something. And so I always look at what behaviors can I reinforce? I know I'm kind of getting off a little track here, but um, I think, you know, crating, it seems like a low hanging fruit, but there's sometimes where animals won't crate, but there's other factors going into it. So sitting back and doing a functional assessment and kind of breaking down the ABCs. So when you, when you have a behavior breakdown for something simple, again, it's, it's good to do a functional assessment and to kind of step back and, and really look at the behavior and say, okay, what's happening now? I know he's created for 18 years. Like I'm mentioning the ocelot, uh, not wanting to create, but having a really good shaping plan can help you 
back up a few steps too, and give you other things to reinforce. And when we say, you know, we're, we're going back to the beginning or going back to kindergarten, you'll get back to the behavior faster, most likely, if you're able to just find things to be able to reinforce, maintain that trust you have with the animal. And um, also just just evaluate the situation, like what is happening in his life? Um, what's his weight? When he gets heavy, he's not as motivated either. So we have a couple of objective factors that we look at, you know, weight. Um, we know body condition, what's good body condition for him. And so um, I'm not saying you hold back food, but you want a good, healthy animal. So when we talk about weight management, we we all should be on some kind of weight management program. I mean, just watch TV and you'll see all the commercials on way, how weight management works. So it's not a bad word for, for animals. You want healthy animals. Um, you want them to be able to, to eat their entire diet and, and um, still you know, be motivated to work for different behaviors. But sometimes when animals get overconditioned, that can reduce motivation as well. So he's a little heavy right now. So that that's another factor we've been looking at. First off, if this edit is any is weird, it's because I was holding in a cough and I couldn't take it. But then Nikki very smartly pointed out as I'm newer to podcasting and Zoom, I can mute myself. So stick to the end. Maybe I'll throw a blueprint on me just losing it because I realized I couldn't mute myself. Number two, I thought that was an amazing story, like a practical situation that we all run into. And some, if it's not a crate, it's shifting into certain area of their habitat, doing all those different things. And I, I loved when you said like, oh, he knows how to do this, but maybe not today, right? Like it's training is the study of one in one moment. And you right. never, we never know what's going on in their heads. And I think that that is a perfect example of you talking through that, of us putting the animal success for us in our heads as trainers, maybe crating is the lowest bar and so easy, but on that day, crating was a little bit harder. And with the end of that session, he was doing it. That's a huge win for that ocelot, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it felt good. Do you have anything else you want to talk about with ABCs? Well, I think, you know, if I could put a plug in for being able to do functional assessments, I think when I took the LLA course, it's it's like an eight-week course, and it really makes you analyze like behavior breakdowns and um, breaking down behavior, both, you know? And so uh, it was it was a really fun exercise. And, you know, as I said, I've been here at the San Diego Zoo for 30 years, and I took it my 28th year. And I was like, ah, oh, I should have done this a long time ago. This was amazing. So I just challenge you to, to always keep learning. And maybe if now, you, you know, you've gone from being the student to the teacher, I, I encourage a lot of people who teach new keepers or new trainers to, to do training is, is to really look at being able to do a functional assessment. I'm sure there's a lot of things at behaviorworks.org and, and things you can find online and, and from, you know, Ken Ramirez and a lot of the workshops that NEI does. So if, if you are having a problem, um, when you go through this functional assessment, it can really help you break it down and figure out what's reinforcing the behavior. It could be something you're not even thinking about. Um, and if you think of the science of it, it's really helpful. So if a behavior is maintaining or increasing, there is something reinforcing it, whether it's you or it's something in the environment. And then, you know, if the behavior is decreasing, there's something punishing it. And so my example with the Asla, I feel like Going outside in the cold as an older animal, it could make his arthritis worse, who knows. But definitely that loud noise is lowering the, his desire to want to go out and explore and be, you know, climbing around. So 
you know, I don't, I try to be careful not to make assumptions. I look at what I can see. I try new tactics, a higher uh, different reinforcers sometimes make a difference. So sometimes they get, so in my bucket, I have fish, I have beef heart, I have um, the, his base diet, which is a lot of beef. We actually started using bull meat juice, which is like the, one of his favorite things. And so we saved that for crating since that was a behavior that was breaking down. So he got a whole syringe full of bull meat juice today and he loved it. And then I opened the door and he didn't leave the crate. So I figured it's not the fact that it's the crate. I Again, that was one more clue that it was probably going out with that really loud construction noise. So now I feel like I'm pretty good at breaking down behavior after learning really good techniques on doing a functional assessment. And Nikki, if you're ever training me, I'll take a syringe of Sweet Baby Ray's barbecue sauce. That'll do it. Just so you know. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> but yeah, that's awesome. And you know, as we are just starting this podcast and starting really the fundamentals and building I want to, you know, as we move on and go into an episode or a couple of episodes, honestly, we could probably fill with looking at those functional assessments. So stay tuned as we continue to grow and uh, build on all of that. So thank you for all that, Nikki. Now, my personal, actually I can't even say favorite because I'm a behavior nerd. So I loved all of that. But the uh, the fun ending to our show is training tales. So do you have a uh, fun training story you just want to share with everyone? Okay, my fun training story, um, I guess it's not as fun as it was just like a feeling like a huge accomplishment. So um, when we started emergency recall with our grizzly bears, we knew that um, we had a really strong daily recall. And so we would blow a referee whistle and they would come in and they were super motivated for food. So we decided to test it by throwing in a test dummy and um, we had a whole drill plan with our security and everything. And so we threw the test dummy in um, and blew the recall. They didn't come in. They went down in the moat and they tore that test dummy up and had a great time. Obviously it was way more reinforcing than coming in for your daily recall, right? So we decided we would do emergency recall. And so we trained the, the emergency recall with their, we figured out their favorite things, uh, which is watermelon and salmon oil. And so we saved, like we would give whole watermelons and then like maybe cut them in half and they had this huge, so we made that that tone, which became a recess bell. So they still had their daily recall with the referee whistle, but they had the recess bell. And then came the time to test it. And so we threw the test dummy in with a drill with security and they both went to the edge of the moat and looked in. And the whole time I was thinking, if this fails, like, all the stuff that we have trained for this whole year and all my theory and all my, you know, encouraging the staff, you know, this is, this is just another tool in our toolbox, of course, but, you know, it's we want it to be a really strong tool. And so, you know, we were calling the drill, person's falling into the moat, you know, there's still the, the, the test dummy. And they looked in the moat and they heard that bell and they turned around and they ran in the back. And it was like security didn't even have time to show up this time. And it was like, we were high-fiving and it was like the best feeling in the world because we'd spent a year really, really honing in this emergency recall um, for the safety of the bears and the safety of guests. And it was just, it's just one of the things that stand out to me is one of, one of our, my favorite accomplishments is emergency recall, not only with the grizzlies, but with polar bears and gorillas and tigers. 
And so I, I highly encourage people to do emergency recall for dangerous animals. If you have any kind of open front um, habitats, um, it's just, you know, it is a tool in your toolbox that can't be overlooked and it could, you know, again, save the animal's life and potentially a person's life. So I, I just, I, whenever I get chills when I watch that video, because it's like, I get sad when I see the first one. And then I just remember like where we've, how far we've come. And so I just so happy that we have this tool in our toolbox. And it's really amazing. Really check out Engage 2023 winter edition, because you see the second one you're talking about. I going to this podcast, I didn't know that about the first time that happening. Like you just see my favorite part is actually the person pretending to walk like a real human and yeah, then the like, dummy going over there like do 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 and it's really cool the bears really just look down there and then they hear it and they go right in so it is really really cool i love watching all of that so thank you so much for all of that and uh joining us today nikki so if you have any questions for Nikki, how can people reach you? Uh, you can email me here at the San Diego Zoo. My email is nvoid at sdzwa.org. And that concludes today's episode focusing on the ABCs of behavior. This, of course, just scratches the surface. So if you have any questions at all, please reach out on any of the ABMA social channels or by emailing abc at the abma.org. And that is thankfully the last time I'll be saying ABC today. But we love to hear from you because this podcast is made for you. So if you have any questions or topics that you would like covered, please reach out and let us know. A special thank you to Nikki for joining us today. James McAleb for our theme song, Ayla on the Beat, sung by the ever-talented Ayla the Sea Lion. All of our ABMA members, and of course to you for listening and joining in on the behavior conversation. If you aren't already a member, consider joining the ABMA by visiting theabma.org as we all strive to better the lives of animals around the world. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you enjoy your podcasts and join us next episode as we start breaking down the first part of the ABCs of behavior with antecedents. In the meantime, thanks for joining us and happy training. Always mute yourself. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that, Nikki. <laughs> I should be doing this the whole time. Like I said, I don't know. Zoom. All right, I'm sorry to mute myself. You keep going. I'll edit that out.